Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello, this is the Redbox Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley, and I'm definitely eating cake in the office. Well, I would be, but I'm actually doing the show from home this week because there are no trains, but that's Britain in 2023 for you. Right, coming up on today's episode, then, it is Wednesday, so it must be PMQs unpacked. We'll pause the action as Rishi Sunak and Keir Starmer clash this week. Yeah, you guessed it, on the NHS. But an interesting time to tease out both uh, what we can learn from the questions and from the answers. So PMQs unpacked is coming up in just a moment. But first, as ever, we kick off. With the columnists, Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton on Times Radio. Yes, it's that time of the morning. We speak to our two favourite columnists on a Wednesday, <laughs> and they are they are in the office. They are in the studio, and I'm not. So, which of you, Alice and Robert, which of you is in the chair? I'm in your well, chair. Well, we gave no. Robert the chair because he's so worried about being a dad at the moment. But um, we wanted to push I just, his confidence. I pushed there. Alice out of the way, ran into the studio first, and, and just and jumped in the chair. And I'm like, I'm enjoying it. So you're in the big presenter's chair. I'm in the I'd big Matt Chorley chair. Actually, he looks really comfortable, Matt. Yeah. You're very and welcome to it if you want to. You <laughs> want to take the lead on the first item, Robert? Yeah, what is it? <laughs> it's cake. <laughs> I think we're going to start with cake. cake. Oh, yeah, cake. I can talk about cake, yeah. So the professor, the professor Susan Jebb, who chairs the Food Standards Agency, says bringing cake into the office should be seen as, ha- as harmful to your colleagues. Yeah. As passive smoking, she's given an interview to the Times, all types of the Times Health Commission. Mm. Uh, um, uh, she's also complained about uh, delays to junk food advertising and being uh, banned and all that sort of thing. Um, Robert, where do you well, stand on cake in the office? Much as I love the Times Health Commission, I think that is hyperbolic nonsense to compare it to passive smoking. So I'm big on cake in the office, not least because we have Henry Byrne, who was a few years ago was came fourth in Bake Off. He now works for <laughs> Times Newsletters. He sits about ten yards away from me, and every Thursday, just as a reminder, Henry it is actually Wednesday. So every Thursday, he brings a cake in, which we have at four o'clock. And if you don't want to eat any cake, you don't have to. Nobody's forcing you. You can exercise some self control and not eat it. But the fact of it yeah, being there it's... is not equivalent to sit. But in the days when we all used to sit around smoking. Yeah, it's they're, only they're like passive smoking if, if Henry <laughs> forces an eclair <laughs> yes. into your mouth, isn't it? Yes. Against I mean, your will. Yes, it's, it's uh, we, we, yes, and he's not. Henry's a very uh, what self-effacing guy. Robert's saying is he's got amazing willpower, so what other people would say maybe is that they can't really cope when they have cake thrust into their face. Well, they I should be I, able to. Yeah. Well, I've interviewed Susan Jebb before, and she is... Uh, she's very thin. She's quite a fattist. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she is also... I mean, she is right, I think, on... 
mainly I think she's she is right on taxes and what you yeah. do with those because it really <laughs> worked with fizzy drinks. So I can see it on a a national level. I just think in the office it's too petty, it sounds too small, and it's sort of let them eat cake is, is not a good headline for anyone. In she's Britain. completely right about the junk food taxes, and that's the big picture. And they know but they whether, should have done that, yes. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I think what's extraordinary is that George Osborne had a chance to do that, and they backed off, and the government keep backing off doing this. And we do know it works, and it's worked in Mexico, and it's worked in other places around the world mm. where they've tried it. And, and it that would be incredibly helpful, because I think the British do snack a lot. So. And it worked for smoking. I mean, the, the combination mm. of making it socially unacceptable and, uh, and then banning it in public places with high taxation worked. I mean, only 14% of the adult population smoke now. Uh, but you can't look at it's not equivalent to you know one bit one cigarette is bad for you one bit of cake is not and also homemade goods are meant to be better for you so yeah. what we don't want is the kind of what we all do <laughs> is we get on the we we go you know we're on the motorway you're yeah. a bit hungry you go and eat some rubbish muffin that's probably yeah. got far too much glucose and mm. some syrup in it whereas the homemade stuff even by children is probably just using very basic ingredients that yeah. aren't too yeah. bad for you uh, i suppose yeah. also as well also, the point the, the, the mm. broader point is that um the, the, the nation's obesity problem is not being fuelled by Sue at work bringing in a Victoria sponge. It really, it really isn't. Birthday. It really isn't. And, and, and it... by, by, by even throwing this into the mix, it makes it quite easy for the rest of us to ignore everything. Like I say, it's this, easy for me this to... mad yes, it's mad goes talking about. It's easy for me to say, get up and say that's hyperbolic, uh, which I, because it is, whereas the rest of the stuff is reasonable and, and important. But focusing on that... And also it's on silly. exercise. So the problem is that you, you need, Susan Jebb's right, and that you need to cut back. You need to have help with, you know, in supermarkets and with ingredients and not having everything forced down you, particularly with advertising and for children uh -huh. with advertising. And you need to have help with exercise. But the, the cake is almost like it's, it's a red herring, if we can say, also, which should not be in the microwave, as we now know, because you can't actually microwave fish in the office either. <laughs> There's also a social benefit to people bringing in cake, which is kind of why people do it. It's a nice thing to do. Uh, it's intangible, but that's probably quite good for people's mental health, mm. I would have thought. It's, and also, it goes back to all those soft things that you get at the office, which are quite hard to put your finger on, that yes. actually standing around while someone's carving up a cake, yeah. uh, you might meet someone from a different department or a more senior sure. person. That's how you... Cake brings people um, together. It's look, like look, having, at, look at the number of excuses we're it's coming like up having a drink. Why should cake, a cake it's like why people go to the pub at six o'clock. It's why they have cake at four o'clock. It yeah. brings people together. It breaks down barriers. Everyone likes cake. Well, I'll tell you what, the Food Standards Agency is going to be absolutely furious. Catherine just emailed in, what, literally while I've been talking. I work for myself from home these days. I've realised how much I miss office cake, so yeah. I'm going to make one now Good for and you, eat Catherine. all of it. <laughs> well A chocolate done. sponge cake with extra buttercream icing. Take oh, that, yeah. nanny state. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so much better to have it in the office, isn't it? Yeah. I think, um, yeah, so I think this is this is... A poor start, but in general, we support the health commission. They think they're going to do. They're doing some great work, but this isn't it. Yeah, I have to say, it's fine that she said this is part of the launch of the health commission. If the health commission, if the actual Times Health Commission comes back and recommends banning yeah. cake in the office, then I think we should all resign. I'll on have that. words with yeah. Rachel Sylvester. Yes, I think yeah, I would describe as my mind about that. We could instead do recipes to take into work, couldn't we? What for cake? Yeah, for cake. Yeah. Oh, I bet, I bet, I tell you what, if the Saturday magazine isn't already on how to beat the nanny state with these six great recipes, then they've no business. It'll be in too. T2 tomorrow, yeah. I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, get well, on, never get mind on the it. magazine, it'll be in Times 2 tomorrow. Yeah, get on it, get on it, get on yeah. it. Um, good, well, I'm glad we've sorted that out. Yes. Um, slightly harder to, to sort out, it has to be said, is uh, the Metropolitan Police. <laughs> Something that you've, uh, and I, I thought your column today was really interesting, Alice, because you make the point that. Uh, this isn't 
the last one last push to get these last couple of bad apples out of the Met and it'll all be sorted and misogyny will no longer exist in society. Mm-hmm. We're such a long way from that. It, mm-hmm. is, it is the extreme example, uh, the latest of David Carrick. But it, it's not, you know, once he's in prison does not mean that this is all going to go away and we've sorted everything out. Well, that's what worries me is that David Carrick, what he did in the fact that he was humiliating women, he was imprisoning them... He, there's rape cases involved. That, you know, every, everything he does sounds ghastly, and and it is hideous. And the women are, you know, it's appalling. The women couldn't come forward for twenty years. But actually, it's not like this is the end of an era. What you feel is that there's a very misogynist mood in the country now with the younger generation, with people like Andrew Tate, who you know view himself actually as a sort of um, arch misogynist, really. Mm-hmm. And he uses some of the same language that some people in the Met use. And that's what worries me, that the younger generation um, are going to be, you know, infiltrated by people like Andrew Tate. And we did a very interesting piece, I thought, today with younger generation talking about why they liked him and why they, mm. they agreed with some of his methods. And I think we've got to stamp out this misogyny because otherwise it's not just about the Met Police, it's everywhere. But it matters more if it's in the Met Police, doesn't it? I mean, it does, because they're meant to be helping us out, yeah. so they're the ones that are meant to yeah. be stamping this out, and they are the law enforcers. And if, yeah. if they're doing it, it's incredibly worrying, but it does also worry me that it's it, it's the younger generation yeah. becoming involved yeah. too. But this guy was, uh, was uh, engaging in his odious criminal acts long before anybody had heard of Andrew Tate. Mm. It was 20 years ago. It's almost as if he became a policeman in order to do that. Uh and he was reported many times, and, he, and his nickname was Bastard Dave, mm. which is a kind of giving you a bit of a clue. Uh, and the, quite apart from the wider structural problem in society, which I, which I completely get, there's a, there's a specific problem with the Met Police. We've got 1,000 officers being investigated at the moment, I think. Yeah, more than 1,000 officers, yeah. and that's extraordinary. And also yeah. half the officers who are actually, in the last four years, who were done for various abuse cases, they yeah. were allowed to come back again. Yeah. So there and should be was, a zero-tolerance policy. Yeah, and he was, he was reported for uh, a rape mm. allegation just within days of, of cousins being convicted. And he kept his... He, he was allowed to... He worked for another three months after that, didn't he? And Wayne Cousins so, was actually called the rapist. So yes. what you want also is a culture that... You know, particularly in the police, that should yeah. be looking at cases like this, that are that actually question these people and, and yeah. wonder why they get these nicknames. Yeah, so there is there is a wider culture in society, but there's a specifically it's a mm. culture in, in the in the police force where there seems to be tolerate, tolerated, and there just doesn't seem to be the same attitude towards. It's just not given the same priority as it would be as it ought to be, uh, and that's yeah. Sorry, and I man. suppose well, it's partly I mean, the, the parallels with the, you know, how do we get the nation to be healthier? That actually the thing that might send the biggest signal, both to Met Police officers and society in more general, isn't the sort of David Carrick cases, which are clearly appalling in their own right. But it's when we start hearing that lots of Met officers have been sacked yeah. for more common routine misogynistic you know this it's the stuff in whatsapp groups it's the yeah um you know badly treating women who might come in and to give evidence or something that's yeah. that's when you might start seeing a cultural change i mean no yeah because because clearly the david carrick case is so appalling that the probably the probably people in the met and outside who think that that is appalling without recognizing the thing that they're doing is also yeah well, what it does is it stops you having confidence as a woman so first you haven't got confidence mm-hmm. because of people like cousins and carrick but then also you haven't got confidence because so few rape cases actually end up going to court. And it's, you know, 1%. So that, yeah. that, that, that in itself is shocking. But when you then think maybe that's because some of these male police officers are misogynist and aren't taking them seriously, you begin to worry. So 
I think we need to get regain confidence in the police. And I think to do that, we're going to have to completely reform the Met Police. I don't think it's mm. enough just to say there are a few bad apples. That I, I think, think they so. now I think, have been corrupted. Yeah, I think the tip of the iceberg is the better metaphor rather than the, the bad mm. apples because it seems to be... He's the most extreme example of of a culture which is uh, which, you know which is the the, the whatsapp stuff the, the the language and that's uh, being that's what's kind of underlying and fueling these particularly egregious cases but it seems to be fairly widespread uh within the within the met police and i'm not sure what you can do about that apart from like you say start sacking people in large numbers and saying that this is actually what we thought you thought was acceptable it's not yeah, and that, that, I suppose, is the single biggest... And actually, that's how you sort of change... I don't know what you call it, locker room bands, whatever it is. Somebody might say, look, don't do that, because we, we might get the sack. Like that, you know, once you start that, that process... Yeah. I it's quite depressing that you have to say, don't do that, because we might get the sack. Yeah, than, yeah but at least, because... I, suppose, I suppose, but at least if, if it's something. Mm. Um, I, yeah, I thought that process had started. I mean, 10, 15 years ago, we were seeing stories about how the Met... You know, P, the PC PCs, mm. and you know the method sort of swallowed the whole woke thing too much. Uh, that evidently was was not the case. They need to be. Yeah. They need. They need to uh, re-educate them. I mean, why are they not being? Why does, this must come up in their training? Surely, when they go to Hendon, they must be trained about uh, this, this kind of use of language and attitudes to uh, sexual violence and sexual crime. But it doesn't seem to have any impact. What worries me is that they've got 20,000 more police officers they want on the streets, that are they going to rush that through and are they actually yeah. going to think and consider who they want and are they going to make sure they get the right people rather than just going to get enough police officers? And really good point, that, about yeah. the, the, the rush to get more mm. more um, more officers on the beat. And, and also, and alongside that, every time uh, a public sector organisation does try to do something about changing its culture, you end up with a PC gone mad, woke mm. diversity yeah. officers on yeah. £8 a day. Uh, type story, um, which you know both both undermines necessarily what they might be doing, but also it again sends the signal that actually maybe it is all right to behave like that in the office. Right, Robert, let's get let's 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 sort this out. <laughs> yeah. uh, you've you've written a piece of the Times talking about how uh, too often dads are being bullied, and I then didn't say that. I didn't say that. I said I was being bullied. You're being bullied, essentially. Yeah. I didn't say too often dads are being bullied. There was no campaigning <laughs> element. We're doing all. a lot of therapy in the office now. <laughs> yeah. I wrote a piece saying that when I get facts wrong as a dad, you'll uh, you, you know you you you'll understand this, Matt. As a dad, as you you one thing that you accumulate are facts, and they are you are going through this golden period when your kids are young, when they think your facts are sacred, and then you, you accumulate a few more, but you're kind of hanging on to the uh, by your fingertips, and eventually they find out that not all your facts are sacred, and they absolutely love it when you get something wrong. And I'm talking about really sort of really core stuff like kind of history and geography and bits of applied science and stuff when you when I, I got the i got the mileage this sounds quite niche but i got the mileage between london and dubai hideously wrong and what interested me was the reaction of my children and wife who they were just <laughs> i mean they were i mean they were just like their, their team had won the fa cup or something i mean they were, they were it was massive celebrations all around really and brutal you know, i think mums are less likely to sort of far off facts aren't they unless yeah. they know they're right yeah. That is the problem, is that dads yeah. tend to... Uh, at least I admit it, though, when I'm wrong. They have great the, confidence, dads, the, the, in their facts, even if they are wrong. Yeah, but then at least I fronted up and admitted it. Whereas women, mothers, I'm not there's... entirely sure that's oh, still yes, no, the case. Mother, yeah, no, 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 no. Once we know, we're right, we're right. <laughs> exactly. Is, it, is there also a little <laughs> bit of, uh, culturally, where dads were once incredibly scary... Um, yeah, uh, yeah. And not to be challenged. That's gone now the other way now, isn't it? Now are useless daddy pig. 
Yeah. Uh, and everybody laughs at him and pulls his trousers down, as you you explained in your uh, piece. Yeah, and, there's, and, yeah. And so, and and so actually, making... maybe in a way that, you know, actually maybe it's sort of slightly redressing the balance. We, we sort of honour the mothers while taking the mick out of the dance. Yeah, I mean, that's true. And I've been making a living out of it for the last 20 odd years. I remember writing a column called Beta Male after all. And that's, that is what that essentially is about, isn't it? It's about the, uh, the uh, it, to be pretentious for a moment, it's about the decline of traditional masculinity. And uh, I'm not quite sure what you're asking me, uh, Matt. Is it? Yeah, I mean, dads are. Fig- I've tended to become figures of fun. Figures of fun, having but, previously yeah. been the sort of the. But the, one thing the, that we, the, yeah, one thing that we thought we had ring house. fenced. We thought we had basic kind of basic f- facts ring fenced. It was one of our last. <laughs> like, it was our last ditch. And so when and you that, even that's gone, even that's gone. Yeah. And I think that, we that's now need to have more of a Father's Day, don't we? So the Mother's Day is taken very seriously in our household. Yeah. But for some reason, although my husband does definitely half the work. We kind of skip Father's Day. It's not. It's. Really, I, I, I talk about that's it. Not, harsh. But it's not a tradition, is it? Really, it doesn't really go back very far. Father's Day. It's a kind of made-up American no. thing. Yeah. Well, aren't they all listen, are, aren't they? But... Well, maybe we'll have to come back to that because okay. I do want to talk about. I do want to talk about leveling up. The end of leveling up. Uh, Tory MPs have been told to stop saying it. Uh, the Times reports the day. Instead, using some terrible alternatives, <laughs> stepping up, gauging up, or enhancing communities. Yeah. So, in fact, we're now joined by Jack Newman, who's a cool. research associate in politics at the University of Manchester. Uh, Jack, are you there? Yeah, hi. Thanks for having me on. Good to have you with us. Now, just give us a, a, a quick sort of 30-second potted history of levelling up. We think it's a Boris Johnson thing, but it really isn't, is it? Well, no, I mean, there's the history of the phrase and the history of the policy area. The history of the phrase goes right back to the 1800s, debates about religion, cropped up in World War II in relation to the pay of soldiers' wives. Um, and obviously, it's got that association with gaming and computer games, but it really emerged as a political slogan with Justine Greening, the education secretary, who developed an agenda around um, social mobility. And then it disappeared for a while until Boris Johnson picked it up and he used it in relation to tackling regional inequalities. So tackling divides between London and the rest of the country or between the north and the south. Mm. Um, and so uh, is that is the fact it's been around for so long and used by so many different people part of the problem, do you think, Jack? that's why nobody really knows what it means. Well, yeah, I mean, the um, polling suggests that some people know what it means, but once you try and get any details, people get rather confused. Um, I mean, I think a lot of the problem is in this general policy area of trying to spread wealth and power across the country. There's just been so many slogans, initiatives, policies. Colleagues at the Productivity Institute have been trying to map all this change, and there's just been so much... And policy churn and short-termism yeah, yeah. in this area. Yeah. And Alice, what do you think about this? You've talked about sort of levelling up the southwest before. Do you like the phrase? So actually, I quite like the phrase. I think <laughs> stepping up's worse. It sounds like some sort of terrible kind of exercise class that we're going to have to do. Yeah, it does. Whereas yeah. I think levelling up does mean something, and it, it sounds like everyone's going up, which is good, because what you don't want is one one area being benefited to the expense of the other area, and that's what's happened too much in Britain. Yeah, yeah. I think people worry they're missing out. So I quite like levelling up, but evidently the focus groups don't. So I think in the end, it doesn't really matter what you call it. It's what you're actually doing on the ground. Yeah, it? I was going to say the same. I, I'm not too fussed about the phrase. So it's policies not being binned we, uh, we, we assume uh, if, the, if the phrase is being replaced then I don't mind as long as the policy isn't Robert Crampton and Alice Thompson of course you can read them in the Times every week just keep yourself a subscription go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash times box up next is PMQ's It's that time of the year your vacation is coming up 
You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to the Redbox Podcast now. It's time for this. PMQ's Unpacked on Times Radio. Unpacking the politics and cutting through the crossfire. Order, order. I call Matt Chorley and Tim Shipman. Yeah, get online to the uh, YouTube channel. Uh, go online to YouTube, search Times Radio. You can see uh, Tim Shipman in the big chair. I'm live from the spare room, uh, bringing you PMQs unpacked, even even when the trains conspire uh, for us to not do it. Tim Shipman, how are you? Well, it's a very comfortable chair, isn't it? I could get used to this. Well, give it time, Tim. Give it time. Only a matter of time. Um, uh, the last few, it feels like forever, uh, Keir Starmer's gone on the NHS and strikes. Um, uh, do you think he'll do that this week? Or are there, there seem to be more political threads you could pull out this week? Uh, well, there are, but um, he seems quite keen on this one and it's not going away. And the more I talk to MPs and even some people in the government, they're getting a bit uneasy about quite how long this is going on for. So, um I was going to say I'd go on strike if he doesn't do strikes. Um, but um, uh, it seems the most likely area to me, and this, uh, I mean, you talk about different threads, there's so many different threads he could go on with the strikes. We've got um, uh, you know, nurses going out again, the ambulance workers are supposed to be uh, announcing they're going on strike later. We've still got issues with trains, um, and there's a whole host of other things going on too. So he doesn't just have to stick to the NHS, he can uh, roam across the piece here. Um uh, and the government are still trying to push back. You've got Steve Barclay out today saying, you know, if you cut, if you start giving more money to the nurses, it's going to cut patient care. But quite whether that argument is going to wash with MPs or the public um, uh, remains to be seen. But, um, you know, Starmer's capable of doing anything, but it seems to me he's uh, he's most likely to do, go with that again. Um, do you think, I mean, if I was here, but this might be the week to do the old William Hague trick of jumping around a whole load of issues, and then try to th- find a theme that ties them together, whether it's rows over Brexit laws, backing down on the online harms bill, the, 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 the row over transgender legislation with Scotland, sort of tying it all together and everything is a bit of a mess rather than just grinding your way through six six questions on strikes well i remember back um you know before the summer we were talking about you know how does he tie together the sort of theme of um, the tories used to talk about broken britain um 
And there's a slight sense of nothing works at the moment and that could be a thing that pulls all of those things together. Uh, but I'd be surprised if strikes wasn't part of that, being the most sort of high-profile and um, public-facing bit of uh, of a lot of this stuff. Um, and some of those things you mentioned are a little bit uh, dangerous for Keir Starmer. I'm, <laughs> I'd be surprised if he wants to get into transgender wars, to be perfectly honest with you, even however much he might care about uh, the union and uh, wanting to win some Scottish votes by saying the government's behaving in a heavy-handed manner on that. Um, he's likely to have what is a woman thrown at him if he does that. Um, so it's uh, it's it's potentially dangerous. And I would have thought Rishi Sunak is keeping up his sleeve some jokes about um, uh, Keir Starmer going to Davos, which Rishi Sunak is not doing. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, you may well uh, be right. Uh, well, here we, I think we're ready to go. Keir Starmer, uh, we should say, I think he made a, a short statement at the beginning uh, of PMQ today about uh, David Carrick of the Metropolitan uh, Police. There's more on that. We'll bring it to you. You can watch along, as ever, on the Times Radio YouTube channel. I'm just having a look at some of the comments where you're all watching. Pennsylvania, Cape Town, Gran Canaria, Frosty Guildford, Rotherham, Upstate New York, Maidervale, Leicester, Germany, Wiltshire. You're all you're all tuning in. Uh, lots of you asking, what's this picture behind me on the wall? Uh, that's the uh, that's a uh, reproduction of the very first copy of the Times. Uh, which was then the Daily Universal Register. Very good uh, on brand I'm, there, Matthew. Very on brand. You see, I've taken down all the other pictures that were on the spare room. Uh, very good. Right, let's go live to the House Commons then. This is question number one, PMQ's unpacked from Keir Starmer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I join with the Prime Minister in his comments about the dreadful case of Carrick? Mr Speaker, it's three minutes past 12. If somebody phones, if somebody phones 999 now because they have chest pains and fear it might be a heart attack, when would the Prime Minister expect an ambulance to arrive? Mr Speaker, it's absolutely right that people can rely on the emergency services when they need them. And that's why we're rapidly implementing measures to improve the delivery of ambulance times and, indeed, urgent and emergency care. But I'd say to the Honourable Gentleman, if he cares about ensuring that patients get access to life-saving emergency care when they need it, why won't he support our minimum safety legislation? Oh, slightly familiar uh, territory, uh, Tim Shipman, from last week. Uh, an interesting... Uh, for an interestingly framed question from Keir Starmer, even if he got the same usual answer from Rishi Sunak. Yeah, no, um, uh, I mean, I hate to say, you know, being proved right. Um, this could be a long <laughs> half an hour, couldn't it? Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, as we've been saying over the last few weeks, Starmer, um, Starmer's team are getting a bit better at sort of framing something in an edgy fashion. Um, and that's a better way of saying, you know, um, ambulance times are a disaster. Uh, you know, uh, probe him, um, tease him a bit, uh, ask him the price of a, a pint of milk, etc. Um, and he's, um, you know, it, it makes the sort of non-answer sound worse if you've asked him a pretty straight answer, uh, which everybody knows um, uh, the answer would be a bad one if he were to answer it honestly. Yeah, and it's one of the things that comes up all the time. People ask, I'm sure the comments will start coming in saying he, uh, he doesn't ask, answer a straight question. Let's go back then to the House of Commons. Question number two. Let's see if Keir Starmer has any more luck on his second go. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister could deflect all he likes, but for the person, for the person suffering from chest pains, the clock started ticking straight away. Every minute counts. Yep. That's why the government says an ambulance should be there in 18 minutes. 
In that case, it would mean just about 20 past 12. Now, I, don't, I know he doesn't want to answer the question I asked him, so I'm going to ask him again. When will that ambulance arrive? Mr Speaker, Speaker, because of the extra funding we're putting in to relieve pressure in urgent and emergency care departments, because of the investment we're putting in in ambulance call handling, we will improve ambulance times as we are recovering from the pandemic and indeed the pressures of this winter. But I say to the Honourable Gentleman again, because he makes my case for me, he describes the life-saving care that people desperately need. So why? When in other countries like France, Spain, Italy and others, why is he depriving people here that care? Uh, Rishi Sinan getting quite a lot of heckling from uh, Angela Rayner on, on the Labour front bench there. I mean, I suppose uh, it may well be the point that Keir Starmer might make um, uh, in a moment. But th- the point is that people are waiting a phenomenal length of time for ambulances, even when there isn't strike action, Tim. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, there's two issues here, and 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 Sunak's conflating them. Um, I frankly, I think he'd be better advised in this situation to just go for it honestly and say, look, these ambulance times are not good enough, which is precise, precisely, you know, and explain a bit, make his case about why some of that's too, he would doubtless say is down to the pandemic, um, and and uh, the fact that you know we've had an economic uh, uh, disaster zone over the last um, sort of. Uh, year or so and he could make that case and say look we've get we're trying to get to grips with it this is precisely why i've set up this uh, ambulance time dashboard it's precisely why the secretary of state for health is doing x y and z um and try and own it a bit and then then he can make his point that you know and what's making them worse frankly are these strikes and and we need minimum service levels uh, in these situations uh, to, to try and cope with that um but sort of uh, kind of pretending that there isn't a problem I mean, he's not pretending there isn't a problem. He just doesn't want to answer the question. Um, and Starmer, if he's got any sense, actually now, having done it twice, will probably keep going. This could well be a sort of uh, Jeremy Paxman quizzing Michael Howard scenario. We might get all six questions asking when the ambulance is going to turn up. That, that, I mean, in a way, this is this is going to be quite a good test for, for Keir Starmer because the smart, you're right, the smart thing to do now is to just keep doing it, all six questions. Uh, and then put it together into a social media clip, and you might get on the board. Yeah, and journalists or, do this in, in the in the lobby briefing. Sometimes they'll keep asking, and they'll keep mentally totting up how many times Downing Street has refused to say something, and then everyone walks out of the meeting and says, "Well, what was that? Six, eight times?" And then immediately the story becomes, you know, becomes Downing Street refused seven say, yeah, times yeah. to say X, um, <laughs> and he can, you know, maybe pull that off here, but we'll see. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, loads of you, loads of you posted comments uh, on the YouTube channel about how uh, not getting answers to the question. Although someone says, uh, Glenn says, could anyone make a heart attack sound less interesting than Keir Starmer? Uh, uh, someone called Matt says that's not an answer. Uh, so, oh, so the Times Radio um, YouTube uh, team uh, seem to think the picture I've taken down off the wall was a picture of, uh, of Andrew Bridget, which is a separate issue altogether. <laughs> uh, let's go back. Let's go back to the House of Commons. Then. This is what question three from Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, he obviously doesn't know or doesn't care. I'll tell him. If our heart attack victim had called for an ambulance in Peterborough at 12.03, it wouldn't arrive until 10 past two. These are our constituents waiting for ambulances I'm talking about. If it was Northampton, it wouldn't arrive until... Order, order, order. Mr Blister, I hope you want to see the rest of the questions out. Because I want you to be here. We're going to have to behave better. Come on, Keir Starmer. 
Mr Speaker, I'm talking about our constituents. If they were in Northampton, it wouldn't arrive until 20 past two. If they were in Plymouth, it wouldn't arrive until 20 to three. That's why someone who fears a heart attack waiting more than two and a half hours for an ambulance. Not the worst case scenario, just the average wait. So for one week, will he stop blaming others, take some responsibility and just admit under his watch the NHS is in crisis, isn't it? Mr Speaker, I noticed the one place the honourable gentleman didn't mention was Wales. Where we know ambulance times are even worse than they are in England, Mr Speaker. No, and the reason, the reason that is the case, because this is not about politics. This is about the fact that the NHS in Scotland, in Wales, in England, is dealing with unprecedented challenges, recovering from COVID, dealing with a very virulent and early flu season, and everyone is doing their best to bring those wait times down. But again, I'll ask him, if he believes so much in improving ambulance wait times, why won't he support our minimum safety legislation? <laughs> well, that's the I'm answer surprised. he could have given, you know, some moments ago, as they say. Um, uh, yes, I think you're right. So, so Keir Starmer is not taking our advice to, to ring this out for the full Mistakenly, uh, I questions. think, as a result of I that. Think, yeah. I, I think you're probably right, given how, uh, how cross, uh, yeah, the response... Should we read anything into the places that the, uh, Keir Starmer was picking? Peterborough, that's probably a la Labour target, isn't it? Nor it's a, it's it a North nice, mar was nice marginal seat. Um, yeah, Northampton, Plymouth, there's, there's marginals in Plymouth, aren't there? These are all places which uh, will be in play at the next election um, and um, Labour would be hoping to make uh, further inroads um, in those kind of places. So... Yeah, and actually, you know, the wait times are obviously pretty shocking, and that's that's you know that's a good way of um, ending your third question if you're intending to move on to something slightly different. Um, but just sort of saying the NHS is in crisis, isn't it? Um, that's not a particularly strong way of moving the debate on or forcing Sunak into a corner because he's never going to answer yes to that. Um, though actually, he sort of did. Um, and kind of said, you know, firstly, we thought, oh, gosh, he's going to just fall back on Tories, say everything's terrible in Wales, which is run by the Labour Party. But but then he did give a quite, you know, the answer I thought he should have given before, which is, you know, let's be grown up about this. There is a there's a big old crisis everywhere. Um, and this is why. Um, and I think, um, you know, the Tory MPs quite liked that. That was, a, a you know, in, in what is a pretty unpleasant sticky wicket. Um, he managed to find the boundary with that one. It's interesting that um, while we've been talking, Labour Party just put out a press release, actually, 37,000 patients with conditions like heart attacks and strokes waited more than three and a half hours for an ambulance in December. So, so that, again, further sign, actually, the Labour Party getting their their, their act together, uh, you know, trying to land an overall story. But you're right, rather than the main story coming out of PMQ is that Keir Starmer thinks the NHS is a mess. Um, but as a result, I suspect we're going to hear more on this if that's their big uh, press release offer. Uh, so let's go back to the House of Commons. Uh, question number four now from Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, he won't answer any questions and he won't take any responsibility. By one o'clock, our heart attack victim is in a bad way. Sweaty, dizzy, chest tightening. This is a heart attack and they're shouting, this is your constituent. By that time, they should be getting treatment. But an hour after they've called 999, they're still lying there. 
waiting, listening to the clock tick. How does he think they feel knowing an ambulance could be still hours away? Well, Mr Speaker, the specific and practical things we are doing to improve ambulance times are clear. We are investing more in urgent and emergency care to create more bed capacity. We are ensuring that the flow of patients through emergency care is faster than it ever has been. We are discharging people at a record rate out of hospitals to ease the constraints that they are facing. And we are reducing the call-out rates by moving people out of ambulance stacks and being dealt with in a community. Now, these are all very practical steps that will make a difference in the short term. But I ask him again and again, and we know why. The reason that he is not putting patients first when it comes to ambulance waiting times is because he is simply in the pockets of his union paymaster. Hey, I haven't got my bell, but um, you, <laughs> union I'm, I'm paymaster. I no, it's, it's it'll be in the drawer. It's under lock and key when I'm not there, Tim. Oh. Um, union paymaster. Somebody on uh, somebody on uh, the YouTube channel said we haven't had that yet. So at least we've at least we can now. Um, Tick that that's one a full bingo I'm, card, isn't it? I think that, that's yeah. I'm 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 a bit disappointed. I thought we might have been on for some some sort of new uh, uh, performative high from uh, Keir Starmer, but he's still he's still taking us through the the process of calling an ambulance when you've had a heart attack in a quite laborious way. Each one ending with it's terrible, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm getting chest pains sitting here listening to it, to be perfectly honest, and wondering, you know, fortunately, Guy's Hospital is just is within a stone's throw of here. So, uh, uh, no, it's, um, you know, in a sense, he's continuing at least to lace this all together in a way that we thought that he perhaps should. I think he, he almost uh, peaked too early with question three. But, um, you know, he's got everybody uh, um, uh, feeling their pulses and uh, hoping for the best in the chamber. Um, and do you think, I'll probably ask you this every week, this landing the argument about union paymasters and Labour and the party we've talked about, they put Keir Starmer in Mick Lynch's pocket and all of that, is that landing? But actually we've got what momentum, the old Corbyn left-wing uh, paramilitary arm of the Labour Party, as it once was, protesting that Keir Starmer's not left-wing enough. Not nearly enough in the pockets of his union paymasters. Uh, no, I mean, I think my judgment is that instinctively it's not the argument that it once was. Um, uh, when you're dealing with Starmer rather than Corbyn or, you know, even back in the days of Ed Miliband, um, it wasn't an argument that ever really worked with Tony Blair. Um, it might have worked a bit better with Gordon Brown. But more to the point, we're 12 years into a Conservative government and, and all this kind of carping, I think, generally has less of an effect on the public. I, I think it's probably still worthwhile Sunak doing it because um, where it is popular is with a lot of his MPs. And, you know, as we always say, half the job of a Prime Minister um, at PMQs is to walk out, you know, with his shirt still on his back um, and, uh, you know, sending his MPs away thinking that he's vaguely competent yeah, yeah. And, and is not being sort of torn asunder by the opposition. Um, so it cheers them up a little bit, but I think, uh, you know, speaking to a lot of them, they know that this is not a particularly potent argument with the public anymore. Yeah, and they're still slightly um, uh, trying to find uh, something to, to to go at him. You know, all the old playbook they've used on Ed Miliband and Jeremy Corbyn just doesn't seem to be landing uh, quite as well this time. Well, let's go back. What are we up to? Question number five, I think, uh, from Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, this isn't hypothetical. This is real life. Stephanie from, Pl Stephanie from Plymouth was battling cancer. 
when she collapsed at home. Her mum rang 999, desperate for help. She only lived a couple of miles from the hospital, but they couldn't prioritise her. She was 26 when she died waiting for that ambulance. A young woman whose life was ended far too soon. And as a dad, I can't even fathom that pain. So, on behalf of Stephanie and her family, will you stop the excuses, stop shifting the blame, stop the political games, and simply tell us when will he sort out these delays and get back to the 18-minute wait? Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, of course Stephanie's case is a tragedy. Of course people are working as hard as they can to ensure people get the care they need. But he talks about political games. He is a living living example of playing political games when it comes to people's health care. I've already mentioned what's been going on in Wales. Is he confident in the Labour-run Wales NHS that nobody is suffering right now? Of course they are, Mr Speaker, because the NHS everywhere is under pressure. What we should be doing is supporting those doctors and nurses to make the changes that we are doing to bring the care to those people. But I'll ask him this. If he is so, so concerned, so concerned about making sure that the Stephanies of the future get the cares they need, why? Why is he denying those families the guarantee of emergency life-saving care? I mean, Keir Stoneman did a good job there of humanising what up until that point had become a, a slightly technocratic, as it sometimes is the case with him, uh, talking about this uh, Stephanie, 26-year-old uh, cancer patient from Plymouth, died while waiting for an ambulance, uh, only 2.3 miles uh, from the hospital. Um, and actually, Rishi Sunak, by again bringing up Wales, sort of conceded by implication that the NHS in England is a, is is in trouble as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um you know, I mean, that's the classic old trick, isn't it? You you come up with a specific individual case. We've been doing this for uh, ever since the War of Jennifer's Ear, um, uh, which some of uh, the older listeners may um, remember. Um, back in 1992, I think that one was. Um, and it's always, you know, uh, it's always telling when you can point to a specific case. Jeremy Corbyn, of course, hung whole sessions of PMQs on individual cases like this. Um, Sunak... Um, I was wondering how sort of empathetic he'd be in his reply. Um, I think perhaps more than he is sometimes, perhaps less than uh, the sort of uh, the Bill Clintons and Tony Blairs of this world managed to do in situations like that. Um, uh, so, you know, he did okay in his response. Um, I think, again, by talking about political games, Starmer kind of left the door open there for Sunak to kind of hit him back on the uh, on the same theme. Um uh, because, you know, uh, PMQs by definition is political games and, you know, we're having an argument about, uh, you know, again, Starmer's the sort of final part of his um, uh, of his question was, I thought, not particularly strong. I mean, he's kind of talking about, you know, uh, saying, you know, how long is this going to go on? When are you going to get to grips with this? Um, you know, and Sunak can quite reasonably say that you know they're they are trying to get to grips with it it's uh it's not a sort of question that's ever going to receive um a coherent or sensible answer even even if the prime minister was being sort of more upfront about things so so uh, you're, I think you're right. he... to, some, to some extent it'd be better if you know you're not going to get an answer make the question better yeah, exactly if, the, if your question is this is all awful isn't it 
He's never going to say yes. So at least try and for you know you can make a political point with the question. Exactly, which is what he did at the start with the how long yeah. does it take for this ambulance to arrive? Um, I think he just needs to be more more precise about it. Um, you know, there is a sort of a tendency uh, generally on the left, I think, to just say isn't everything terrible, um, uh, which is fine because a lot of people agree with that. But um, it's not what wins you a session of PMQs, I don't think. Interesting point Tom Saunders has posted on the uh, on the YouTube channel. If health workers are working as hard as they can, as Richie Sunak just said, where does that leave Steve Barclay's demands for productivity increases in the NHS? And this and this has been really latched on by critics on the left. Steve Barclay basically told people in the NHS to work a bit harder. Um, or I suppose all of that really points to the government to some extent thrashing around constantly to an answer to questions, which are where the answer is actually uh, the NHS has been underfunded. Uh, social care's not been reformed. Uh, we haven't got enough staff. And uh, the fallout of the pandemic means that lots of people have uh, stored up illnesses which are putting massive pressures on the NHS. Well, that's right. But I also think anyone who's been anywhere near um, uh, the hospital in the last six months, um, and I've got young kids, which means, you know, this happens from time to time, can see that everybody is working absolutely flat out. It's not like the individuals there are not working. When you talk about productivity problems in the NHS, you know, do we get our money's worth from the money that goes in? You know, there's a lot of evidence that we don't, and that's more about how the NHS is run. Um, and in... Uh, a country that isn't Great Britain, you'd be having a debate about exactly how uh, the NHS works. Um, but unfortunately, because it's this sort of national religion, um, it's very difficult to do that here. So while a lot of Conservatives occasionally, at moments when their tails are up, think, well, we'll go off and reform the NHS, they, um, any time they get anywhere near an election, they, they bottle it spectacularly. Um, and frankly, it's, um, I think, encouraging that we're treating the Shadow Health Secretary as making noises about lack of productivity as well, because really um, it's it's the Labour Party that has to reform the NHS generally because they're trusted by the public uh, not to be sort of privatising it and tearing it up. Um, and it's very difficult for a Conservative government to do that uh, with any credibility. It's a little bit then, do you think, with what, 18 months probably from a general election? If we were close to a general election, we'd probably be saying that Keir Starmer... Uh, you know, is massively more trusted on the NHS than the Tories are. Hammering away at them doesn't really help him especially, and we'd actually be looking for some meat on some on the bones of, well, what would you do instead? But also, politically, you want to target some of the areas where you want to show, you know, improve your strength and undermine the Conservative position. It's quite easy, easy, easy pickings, this, isn't it? Just this is a home tie for the Labour Party, generally speaking. Yeah. And, you know, and if Sunak was honestly answering, he'd say, of course I want to sort this out because I want to get re-elected and I've made five pledges to the public, one of which is to get waiting times down, um, tackle ambulances. Um, so, you know, the honest political answer is that, you know, they're desperate to sort this out and they're chucking everything at the wall apart from giving the staff more money at the moment. Um, and, um, you know, that's where, what the situation is. Uh, you know, I don't begrudge Starmer the opportunity to attack on something that is clearly, um, you know, disturbing yeah, yeah. and worrying. But as you say, strategically, he will need to do more than just bang on about the NHS in the next 18 months. Well, let's find out um, how he winds all this up uh, before we uh, <laughs> before we uh, go to the news. Uh, this is the, the last question. Then. Question number six from Keir Starmer. So that's his answer to yep. Stephanie's family. Yep. Deflect, yep. blame others, yep. never take responsibility. Yep. Just like last week, he won't say when he's going to deliver the basic minimum service levels people need. Yep. 
Mr Speaker, over the 40 minutes or so that these sessions tend to last, 700 people will call an ambulance. Two will be reporting a heart attack. Four will be reporting a stroke. But instead of the rapid help they need, many will wait and wait and wait. So if he won't answer any questions, will he at least apologise for the lethal chaos under his watch? Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, he he asked about the minimum safety levels. We we will deliver them as soon as we can pass them. Why won't he vote for them, first of all? But Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, we are are delivering on the people's priorities. As we have seen this week, the honourable gentleman will just say anything if the politics suits him. It is as simple as that. He will break promises left, right and centre. He promised to nationalise public services. He promised to have a second referendum. He promised to defend the mass migration of the EU. And now we are apparently led to believe that he... I expect the front bench just to keep a little quiet. Because if they don't, there's somewhere else for them to shout their noise. Mr. Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, if we are going to deliver for the British people, people need to have strong convictions. But when it comes to the honourable gentleman, he isn't just for the free movement of people; he's also got the free movement of principles. <laughs> oh, 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 that's a. Uh... After a gag-free, pre—you know, soundbite-free uh, six questions, God, wow. so like he winced at that. <laughs> uh, the, the free movement of people, the free movement of principles. It's it's oh. a it's 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 a sort of okay inside the Beltway joke. I doubt we're going to be hearing uh, much of that. Um, uh, for but also, the it made it had slightly more sense if Keir Starmer had gone on immigration or small boats or something. That at least. Free movement of people would, would have been, you know, adjacent to the well, conversation. Maybe we will hear it again when we when we do the yeah, next immigration one. Um, uh, when why won't he apologise for the lethal chaos? Was a better question from Keir Starman than some of the earlier ones. Well, it's better because the phrase is quite good. Lethal chaos is a good phrase. Um, um, I'm not sure it was ever going to elicit an answer, um, and I'm not sure it quite pinned him down, but. Um, you know, as you say, delivering a soundbite in a question, that's what he did there. And um, I think we'll be hearing that phrase again um, because it can yeah. apply to a heck of a lot of different things and, and it contributes to that notion that, you know, stuff just isn't working very well at the moment in this country. Um, and that is, you know, easily Labour's trump card at the moment. Um, and however much Rishi Sunak um, can say, look, we're trying to do this, we're trying to do that, um, he knows um, that if by the end of the year these numbers have not shifted both on the economy and on the health service and on immigration, um, he's got problems. And, um, you know, his only chance of getting uh, elected in 2024 is if uh, they've managed to move the metrics a bit. But, you know, between then and, uh, now and then, we're going to have a, a long old series of um, PMQs which are going to be ploughing very similar furrows to this, I think. Yeah, it does still feel like the Labour Party are really still groping around for that phrase that ties all of that together. You know, everything's broken, Britain isn't working, whatever it might, you know, once it feels like once they've latched onto that, and maybe they've already know what it is and they'll wheel it out close to a general election. But that it feels like it'd be much easier for Keir Starmer to, to sort of pull these things together rather than deciding this week I'm gonna do the NHS isn't working very well, next week I might do the trains aren't whatever. You know, having having that that phrase which 
you yeah, know, you could then be, do uh, what Haig uh, did uh, and take just jump around or whatever it might be. Here, there, yeah. and everywhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we uh, go back to the House of Commons now. As ever, we kick off with the uh, the leader of the SNP in Westminster. This is uh, a question from Stephen Flynn. Mr Speaker, let me be crystal clear. This is the Conservative Party seeking to stoke a culture war against some of the most marginalised people in society. And Scotland's democracy is simply collateral damage. And on that issue of democracy, let's reflect. Because on Monday, the UK government introduced legislation to ban the right to strike against the express wishes of the Scottish Government. On Tuesday, they introduced legislation to overturn the GRR against the express wishes of the Scottish Government. And this evening, they will seek to put in place legislation that rips up thousands of EU protections against the express wishes of the Scottish Government. Are we not now on a slippery slope from devolution to direct rule. Yep. Yeah. No, 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 Mr. S no, Mr. Speaker. Of course, we're not. This is simply about protecting UK-wide legislation, about ensuring the safety of women and children. This is not about the devolution settlement. I would urge the honourable gentleman and his party to consider engaging with the UK government on this bill as we did before the legislation passed, so that we can find a constructive way forward in the interests of the people of Scotland and the United Kingdom. Oh, well, uh, let's jump in there, uh, Tim. I'm not sure the slip of the tongue. I think Stephen Flynn went from saying from the express wishes of the Scottish people to the express wishes of the Scottish government. Which I know the SNP uh, think are interchangeable. <laughs> um, uh, but not necessarily everyone in Scotland would agree with. And I suppose that's a, an interesting way to view all of these separate rows we've been seeing between uh, Rishi Sinak and Nicola Sturgeon. Bearing in mind, he was only up there, what, last week with his casual jumper on. Um, and we were told they got on uh, famously well. Um, actually, anything which the SNP can use to drive a wedge and say Westminster is going against the express wishes of the Scottish people... That helps to serve their their call for independence, regardless of whatever the issue might be. Yeah, that's right. And and direct rule is a very loaded term, which is obviously more often used for um, uh, London running things in Northern Ireland. Uh, it has a sort of whiff of uh, uh, a sort of uh, colonial uh, thing about it. I have a Scottish friend who's still to this day, he's a massive unionist, but he refers to London as the imperial capital, and that's the the view that. Um, uh, you know that the SNP are trying to get across that you know uh, we are um, sitting here and being told what to do um, by these terrible Tories in London. Um, uh, but as you rightly observe, um, uh, it's not always the case that the Scottish people and the Scottish government are in agreement on these things. Um, and it's a difficult one because some of this stuff um, you have UK-wide legislation. There are issues which are not devolved matters um, under the settlement. Um, and um, you know it's incumbent on the government to ensure that the same rights exist in uh, in Edinburgh as they do in Isha. Um, but obviously that gives the SNP an opening. And um, you know uh, we've seen this at PMQs for a long time. Um, you know they're very good at exploiting it, getting their soundbite. Um, and Stephen Flynn is, if anything, I think a little bit sharper and less, um, uh, perhaps <laughs> slightly less verbose than his predecessor. Less ponderous, ponderous. I think it's probably Ian Blackford's. You know, uh, using eight words where one would do. Uh, it's a bit sharper and, uh, and to the point. Um, and, and but I suppose what Richard Sunak doesn't do uh, or as much as perhaps he could is sort of use it as a way of launching a fierce defence of the union, why it is good for Scotland. 
Yeah, and actually, um, you got a little bit more of that from Boris Johnson, ironically, mm. um, who would sort of taunt and say, you know, it's all daft, this independence lark. But he did then get um, slightly under Michael Gove's tutelage to the point where he was making a positive case, you know, uh, Boris Johnson's big thing, of course, was the vaccine rollout, and that was a you know that was a stone cold example of why being in the union was a good thing for the people of Scotland, and he was able to exploit that for several months as as a big attack line against the SNP. Um, uh, be interesting to see, you know, Sunak has stolen some of Johnson's greatest hits in other areas. Um, he hasn't yet done so in this, and uh, it's one where you would think there ought to be a bit more continuity between um, those two Tory regimes. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, people don't always like using their predecessors' arguments. But we had the whole Jeremy <laughs> Corbyn thing. We've had, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, union paymasters is a hardy perennial. Um, I think there's more scope for Sunak to try and uh, make the argument in his answer, as you say. Uh, th right, that was uh, Stephen, uh, the exchange with Stephen Flynn. I'm not sure, where, where are we going next? Where do we want to go next? Uh, we're going to go to Alicia Cairns. She's the Conservative MP. Uh, who also chairs the Foreign Affairs Select Committee. Let's see what she had to say. Speaker, if I may, I would like to begin by putting on record this House's heartbreak at the tragic death this morning of our friend Dennis, the Minister of Interior Affairs in Ukraine, and his deputy, and all those who were killed in that tragic accident. I'm sure this <coughs> House is united in our feeling on that. Turning to more local affairs, as many have pointed out, the government, I understand, is in the final furlongs of giving out its levelling up bids. And I must ask him to look kindly upon building the borough market of the Midlands and building a future Meditech hub in Rutland. So can he assure me that not just urban, but also rural areas will be levelled up? Yeah. Well, Mr Speaker, let me join with my honourable friend in in paying tribute to the family of the Interior Minister in Ukraine. I know our thoughts uh, will be with him uh, at this difficult time. Uh, and also, I can confirm to her that this government believes levelling up should apply equally everywhere across our United Kingdom. Urban and rural communities up and down the country will get the benefit of having the investment that they deserve, making sure that we can spread opportunity and ensure everyone has pride in the place that they call home. Uh, yeah, if you weren't aware of that story, it was that overnight there was that news that 18, at least 18 people, including Ukraine's interior minister, uh, his, uh, who's Denis Monistri, uh, which uh, Alicia Combs was referring to, his deputy interior minister, uh, and, uh, and others, other senior officials, are thought to have uh, died, including uh, three children. Uh, so that's why the, uh, the those tributes are being made there. Interesting, uh, given the story on the front of the Times today, Tim, about how uh, MPs in... Uh, uh, marginal seats have been told to stop using the phrase levelling up because nobody knows what it means. Alicia Cairns, it pains to use it several times in her question. Uh, and then Rishi Sunak using it in his response. Uh, well, fancy that. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's it's become one of those catch-all terms. People sort of, you know, at least in Westminster, vaguely kind of aware of what it means. I don't think most people have ever really satisfactorily um, uh, felt that it's been pinned down to something meaningful for their communities. But, of course, MPs, if they get this money and get things built, can then make that argument to their local papers and their local TV channels and say, look, this is this is working. And I think when people start seeing things being built, they can kind of comprehend that that might be something to do with levelling up. Um, you know, uh, lots of people, even close allies of Boris Johnson, thought it was a nonsense phrase. Dominic Cummings always thought when he was in Downing Street that it was completely meaningless. Michael gave it a whole report trying to explain to us what levelling up was, and I don't think most people are much the wiser having read it. Um, so it's one of those terms which is sort of functionally meaningless to the public, but people kind of sense that they understand 
vaguely that it means chucking money to parts of the country that haven't had it before. Um, they don't know what it means in practice. And these grants are terribly important because they show what it means in practice. Um, I mean, uh, quite whether um, the people of Alicia Kearns's constituency are yearning for the borough market of the Midlands um, is something that... Um, uh, perplexes me a little. Um, that's a classic uh, Zone 1 London reference, um, which may or may not have residents uh, in her own seat. But, um, yeah. yeah but it's very, um, pop very popular with people in Times Radio Towers because it's just across the road. But um, other other overpriced farmers' markets are available. They are I indeed. But levelling up um, is going to become this great big sort of contest in the Tory party. Um, uh, there's a whole new group been launched, which Simon Clark and lots of other people mm. who supported Liz Truss are getting behind. They've uh, had now not just launched something, and Clark's just not just writing for the papers. They've even had a drinks do now, so it's now an official enterprise. Um, as soon as you have a drinks do, you're, you're in business. Um, 40 people gathered. Um, one of the unkinder comments was uh, that it was a list of 40 people you wouldn't invite to a dinner party. Um, but <laughs> but um, these are, um, you know, MPs from the sort of uh, uh, Truscateer uh, wing of the Conservative Party who are going to hold Rishi Sunak's feet to the fire over levelling up. Um, and the same goes for people who supported Boris Johnson. So, you know, this is an area where Sunak, you know, is going to be kept on his metal um, by his own party. So it's interesting uh, when uh, MPs are standing up and, and making these demands, you know, in the chamber. Absolutely. Well, we'll leave it there. I think we've covered quite a lot of ground there today, Tim. Lovely to see you. Hopefully, all being well, I will be uh, with you in the studio tomorrow. Uh, not tomorrow, next week. Do, send, my, me, uh, do my... send me a picture of your secret Bridgen poster, won't you? I will do. Uh, yes, um, yeah. Uh, very good. And uh, thank you very much for watching along on the uh, on the Times Radio YouTube channel as well. That brings us to the end of PMQ's Unpacked. My thanks to Tim Shipman, Chief Political Commentator of the Sunday Times. Uh, we'll be back next week doing it all again. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. And we bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. Mm. 